hello. Hi, big buddy. I, I can't, I don't know how to start a podcast. Welcome to another glorious episode of Jeff Has Cool Friends. I am Jeff May, and I have a very cool friend. As I am returning from my one-week sabbatical that has pushed all of my schedule away, I have somebody that has been requested as a guest. That you are, you might be actually the, you might, I haven't introduced you yet. You are the fantastic writer, performer, Facebook group admin of cats, I believe. Joey Cliff. Joey, how's it going, bud? Yeah. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? I got to say that was a fantastic way to start a podcast. I mean, I feel like there's the option of just the like, hey, oh, everybody, whoa, hey, how's it going? Or you could do like a very NPR of just like, this is Jeff May. I have very cool friends. Yes, and welcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you're trying I mean, to not wake have, up somebody in the other room. Yeah, we have Joey Clift here, and uh, he's going to be talking about all the things he's been working on here on the Joey Clift Hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I. It's kind of a bit that I suck at starting this podcast because I've been doing these things for so damn long. But uh, yeah, you are. When I when I started the network, and I was like, hey, if there are people you know that you want on the show. Let me know. And somebody immediately requested you and then life happened and I've been waiting to get you on and it just, everything synced up really perfectly and we have you on. So I'm so excited. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got to say big shout out to the wild stallions poster that you've got right over your head. I know <laughs> the, this is an audio medium, but he's got a yes. very cool wild stallions poster. This is a Dave Perillo wild stallions piece. If you look him up, follow at Monty Gog on social media. He's also the guy that drew the cartoon me that you see on um, social media. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm, you, you can't see it, but I'm looking at a, a poster of, did you watch Mr. Show at all? I have seen Mr. Show. So do you remember the story of Everest sketch? Mm, I'm trying to remember it and I might not be remembering it well. So. Yeah. So it was a sketch where Jay Johnston, a very funny actor was dressed like a, you know, somebody who's about to like scale Mount Everest. And then he just like keeps on knocking over a bunch of thimbles is essentially the game of the sketch. And I got this really nice, like, Mr. Show art print. Um, it's like Jay Johnston, the actor, you know, dressed like, you know, the Mount Everest explorer, ready to climb the mountain. And um, I got it probably about, I want to say, 10 years ago at, like, a Mr. Show art show um, at the Nerdist Theater, which um, no longer exists. And um, that was my that was my yeah, home club. Oh, uh, it's great. And then, so, like, I've had this poster on my wall for a while, and it was always pretty funny, but it got way funnier when last year it was real, revealed that Jay Johnston was one of the people that stormed the Capitol. He sure was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, now it's a very funny poster. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it very funny. You have a criminal autograph there, right? Or yeah, yeah. Um, did he sign it or? Uh, I mean, I could probably still get him yeah. to sign it. I could, you know, yeah. send it to the jail, he said. Yeah, just tell him that it is a, tell him that it's a... I'm just I'm a survey true, and I, I'm a I'm a true fan of everything you did post 2020. Yeah, I'm only a huge fan of you recently. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I've gone back <laughs> and looked up your stuff. Yeah, your uh, stuff is fine. Your politics. You're like just so good the way you tried yeah. to do an insurrection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I do love that. There's there's a guy that owns a restaurant back in my hometown who was just there. And like we had a falling out. I used to love the restaurant. I used to live next to it. I'd go there every day. And then as soon as like 2016 happened, he went like he was like a Florida oh, guy, basically. It. Oh wow. That was transplanted to Massachusetts. And he became just the biggest piece of shit. And I was like, oh no, I really like those omelets. But yeah. Did did you ever go to like the bourgeoisie pig near UCB? Yeah, yeah. I went on a date there once. So I 
I, I feel like we're at a point now where I feel like I have to know the politics of the restaurants I'm going to. And like the, the bourgeoisie pig shortly after, you know, everything shut down in the pandemic, we we found out the owner of the bourgeoisie pig was just a huge like new world order anti-mask person <laughs> and like they're just like it's like they would be like hey you can order you know bourgeoisie pig you know coffee via grubhub also fear the globalist state or something like that yeah be like smash the zog and you're like yeah, what yeah, yeah. And it's just like what yeah, yeah, yeah. The so it's like i feel like you know if you own a restaurant maybe keep your politics to yourself <laughs> there i know it's it, it is so but there is also that shut up and dribble energy that we have with that where we're like you know, whenever, anytime an athlete speaks out about social justice and everyone's just like, just shut up and play the game. So like, I guess if you're a restaurant owner and you want to tank your, your life, by all means, like you have every right to share your terrible politics. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get it. Look, if you're yeah. like a, if you're like a major athlete and you have, you know, millions of followers on social media or something like that, you know, I totally get like the idea of using your platform, you know, to, you know, further whatever good that you feel you're going to further. But like, if you own a coffee shop with like 300 Twitter followers, maybe you're not the person, maybe there's not going to be any good thing that's going to happen if you t start spouting conspiracy theories. So do you like, I also like with that, I, I think restaurant owners got like the highest level of frustration at that time. Like, right, I feel fair. like if they were teetering on that wing, really pushed people into that, like, oh, it is a, the new world order coming for me. My favorite restaurant local restaurant story during the pandemic was do you remember tin horn flats okay i vaguely remember this but please please tell me more so tin horn flats in burbank was one of these places it was like just like a burger saloon on magnolia burbank. <laughs> that it was is a good color. way to explain it, that yeah it's like a burger saloon it's a burger saloon like they were known for their burgers they were literally a saloon with the doors and they just kept staying open in defiance of the of the who and like all the all the going on they refused to, to shut down and they were having like parties wow they're in like plague parties and they like they kept getting shut down and they would like there were all these like because you know burbank is famous for two things halloween and gun stores like <laughs> two things burbank and there were like the gun store people were at tin horn flats being like right. dare you to close us down and they got closed down. And somebody and called them on that dare. I, when I was going for runs, I would run by it all the time because I was running during the pandemic every day. And I would run by these protests and I would just, I, and I'd put my mask on. I was running shirtless, putting my mask on. And they'd be like, can you even breathe in that thing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I think you guys are idiots. Yeah, yeah, totally. I would just like make fun of them the whole time. That's so, that's so funny. I got to say, did you have it over the, over the, like the early pandemic, kind of like the scary part of the pandemic where we really didn't know what was going on? Ooh, yeah. the Where, yeah. Like, you know, April, May or whatever. Yeah. 2020. The beginning of a sci-fi movie era. Yeah. No, a hundred percent where you would like walk outside and there wouldn't be like cars on the street kind of thing. Did you have any friends that ran like secret speakeasy parties? I don't, I think that if I did, they were smart enough not to tell me. Yeah, I feel like I, I there were a few people that I that were like kind of acquaintances in the LA comedy scene that I heard were throwing like just like the bars are closed, so we're throwing our own parties in like Dude. April of 2020, and it's like oh, I just don't talk to those people anymore. That the was like stand up an, an, an easy way to prune some people out of my life, you know. The stand up community was like, we need this now more than ever. I'm like, if you, <laughs> you dying, I don't disagree. Yeah, uh, yeah, like go ahead, get. I do. I have 
turned into a joke where I was like, I think at this point in time, the one thing that vaxxers and anti-vaxxers have in common is we don't want you to get vaxxed. <laughs> don't get vaxxed. So like, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, real quick. Right, you know, right, it's right. not going to get it's not going to get all of you, but it's going to get some of you. And right. that's all I want. So, Joey, we met. Interestingly, we met through our shared history of people that we previously dated. I met you back when you were dating your ex when we were a very, very funny person and good writer. And and I was I was dating mine this time. And we met and we got along. And then we realized after the fact, I think that we were already social media friends. Yeah, I think that the story was it was like, a. I want to say it was a it was a rooftop party at like somebody's apartment or something like that. It was at Val's. Yeah, it was like a fourth of July party. And yeah, we met. And then we like really hit it off and just kind of like hung out the whole night. And then just like shortly afterwards, like my you know partner at the time and I, you know, mutually decided to break up. I'm still yeah. friends with her. She's good people. Yeah, she's great. And like, and yeah, we just like haven't really talked a ton since, but we realized like, oh, we're social media friends. And we tw- I mean, <laughs> yeah, chatted was, over. It was yeah, weird where it was bit. like, as it was coming in and I, and I, I think it really came down and this is, this is one of those things that happens. I think a lot, especially in LA when we meet so many Yeah. People, where I, I like later, I was just looking at my phone. And I was like, wait, what's her boyfriend's name again? She was like, it's Joey Clift. I was like, oh, I know this guy. Like, <laughs> those were like, oh, I know this guy. Like. It was very funny because you also run the you run or ran the LA Underground Cat Network. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I currently run a Facebook group called the LA Underground Cat Network. It's a Facebook group for Los Angeles area comedians to share pictures of their cats. It has sixteen thousand members. <laughs> it is not small. One of my favorite specifics about the LA Underground Cat Network is there's weirdly a lot of drama in the cat Facebook space. So now there are three on, cat on, Facebook groups that I run on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just there's the so I originally created the LA Underground Cat Network in probably like 2015, 2016 or so, and it you know immediately blew up and it became you know a place for comedians to show pictures of their cats. But then there was like kind of this split of people that just wanted cute cat pictures, and then people that you know worked for cat rescues in LA that wanted to use this as an opportunity to like get cats adopted. And like it basically caused this like weird civil war where it's like the cat picture, pe- the cute cat picture people would get mad at the cat rescue people because they'd be like, you're storing, you're, it's, I'm sad I can't adopt this cat. Stop posting this. So then I had to create a second no. Facebook group just for the cat rescue people. And then the main group people were like, there's still not enough cute pictures in that. So then I had to create a third Facebook group just only for cute cat pictures with like harsh rules. I would say that the people in the main group that were complaining are insufferable and I don't like them. I think that that's like a, I would say that like, I love cats, but I do think that running these Facebook groups has definitely made me like cat people just a little less. Like, I think social media really does bring out the best when you don't have a social filter. Like when you don't, like a lot of times, and when I say that, I mean like the social media, like, if I'm typing on something, it's so easy for me to just be like, yeah, well, you're a moron. And then close my computer and walk away and not think about the interactions that I'm having with that person. Like it's done. I just like, you're an idiot. And then I leave. Whereas if you say that to someone's face, it's a very different experience. And I think that that has sort of become ingrained in humanity's DNA over the past 10 years, where we have sort of lost the humanity of our interactions because we're almost all of our interactions are through this a phone yeah it is like very interesting especially within like 
I don't know, I would say kind of like the greater like LA comedy scene. When you see somebody being like real spicy on social media and you're just like, I'm going to see you at a bar tomorrow. <laughs> like, why are you? Yeah. Why, why aren't you like nicer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've gotten to this point. I've, I think I've aged out of being particularly polite when I think people are relatively repugnant. You know, like if, if like if I think somebody's like an actual bad person, not just having like a bad opinion, like, oh, I miss that. You know, Zack Snyder's Justice League was good. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're a moron, whatever. But like when people are just like, you know, who shouldn't have rights? Immigrants. And then I'm just like, hey, you're a huge piece of shit. And I'm at that point now where I can say that to their face. Oh, yeah. I mean, stuff like that that's just sort of like hateful. It's like, yeah, totally. Like the, the gloves are off, the filter's off for sure. Yeah. No more filters. Yeah. So you are. I think accidentally representative of the native comedy community for, for yeah. the American comedy world. You, you've sort of become this de facto spokesperson, whether it was your choice or not, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that's it is a really weird. I mean, I, 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 I don't think that I'm that necessarily anymore, but it did feel like there was like a little while where I mean, OK, so like. I guess, first off, I'm an enrolled member of the Cowlitz Indian tribe. I grew up in the Tulalip Reservation in Washington State. I'm native, blah, 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 blah. You get it. And I think that I came up in like a time in specifically the L.A. comedy scene where I knew a lot of really funny native comedians in sort of, you know, the greater native Hollywood sphere mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily getting opportunities in, you know, mainstream spaces, places like the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, you know, big comedy clubs and et cetera. And, you know, I was like one of, I would think I was like the only native comedian, at least getting kind of mainstream opportunities in Los Angeles, at least. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now things have changed. Like Brian Bahi is is a super funny comedian who's in the middle of like a really big rise right now. He was like one of the JFL new faces last year. Oh, and great. I think he was one of like Vulture's, you know, 10 comics to watch this year or something oh, like that. There's folks like, you know, Janish Meeting, who starred in a Peacock show a couple of years ago. And like the the cast of Rutherford or of uh, Reservation Dogs is definitely like spotlit lighted a lot of really great native comedians yeah, yeah I think was... that's the big like reservation dogs has been probably the biggest attention to native comedy in the past 10 years maybe I, yeah I, I think so i think that since i would say probably like the 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 last Native comedian to ever do a stand-up set on like a national U.S. late night show was Charlie Hill in uh, 2006 on Letterman, I think. So it's been about like 15 years since really like Native comedy has even been just like on TV, you know, like period. Like that not not even just like, you know, a comedian doing a late night show. Yeah. And yeah, like I think that I just kind of found myself in this weird spot where I feel like, you know, there's been there's probably been, you know, around 100 native comedians doing it from the open mic level to, you know, touring comedians, you know, kind of around the country for the past couple of years. And the number has kind of gone up because of reservation dogs, just, you know, new folks jumping on the scene. Seeing but that I do feel like, is yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But it did, it did kind of feel like, at least within Los Angeles, I was kind of the native comedian that people would often think of just because I was like doing stuff at UCB and writing on, you know, writing for comedy websites and all that thing. And, you know, it's like, I think that, I just like weirdly found myself in this position where oftentimes I would be like the first native comedian asked to do a comedy show or a podcast or meet with a manager or meet with a producer or whatever. So I think it's like, 
you know, I don't think I'm like the spokesperson for all native comedians or whatever, but I do think I was like weirdly in a lot of like first positions and I would always try really hard to just kind of like make it better for the next people. Yeah, no, that, that is something that I noticed. And I think one of the parts, cause there was actually this, there, there was a sort of scenario that went relatively viral about you being invited onto a podcast. Uh, I believe it was a retro gaming podcast Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're by your friends and people that I believe you are still friends with that they kind of had this tone deaf idea to invite you on for an episode on the underground adult awful Atari game Custer's Revenge. And you kind of came on to the show like, what the f- guys, right? Like that was like your opening line, right? Yeah, yeah. The the show, it's called, it was formerly called How Did This Get Played? Now it's called Get Played. And, you know, I would say that like my my relationship to the hosts was probably like you know as you do in the comedy scene where it's sort of like oh we we didn't you know hang out by any means but that we were people that would like run into each other at shows and um, like this yeah yeah totally yeah exactly it was like kind of like this sort of thing waiter you can ask me to review that game because oh no (laughs) no 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 no. i okay thank god sitting revenge actually is oh oh thank god okay cool but yeah, so like, you know, the like, and two of the hosts were like my former sketch comedy teachers, you know, back in 2012. So this was seven yeah. or eight years after the fact. So, you know, I would say that we were like friendly with each other, but, you know, I probably hadn't talked to any of them in, you know, a year or two when they kind of asked me to be on the show. And, you know, we had the conversation that we had, which it was definitely like a, like when I initially got the ask, it was, you know, to paint the full picture, it was like, I was the first native comedian that they'd ever asked to guest on the show. It was to review a bad video game called Custer's Revenge, where the point of the game is that you play the ghost of General Custer, Custer and your job, like the point of the game is to like rape a Native American woman who's tied to a pole. And they asked me to do this for the Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And it's, you know, I think that for me, it's like it was kind of this, like I got this email probably about a week before the episode was set to record and like you know i definitely thought about like okay should i say i should you know i don't want to do this like this is horrible for a lot of reasons should i say no to this what should i do and i think that like ultimately i kind of realized that you know like i know like though i'm not like you know best friends with the hosts of the podcast we had enough mutual friends that i was able to kind of ask around and say like you know kind of ask friends kind of covertly and say like Hey, if I just like kind of confronted about them about this, would they like have that conversation? Like, would they be cool about it? You know, would it would it yeah. be productive? And you know, a lot of people said like, oh yeah, you know, they're very nice people, and they would you know ultimately probably they wouldn't just immediately like tell me to get out of the studio or whatever. Yeah. And you know, so I like decided to guest on the show, and I it was like probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my life. Because, you know, there is this real feeling of like I, I wrote a, like an AV club op-ed about it um, that came out, I think, a week after the episode that was basically breaking down that like the comedy industry and the entertainment industry is all like relationship based. And, you know, I'm at a certain level in my career and the hosts of that show are all definitely like a couple levels above me. So it's like if they think I suck, I could potentially or at least it feels like you could like never work again. You know, yeah, there's that sort of sense of being blackballed. Yeah, or just being kind of just getting a reputation for not being Being cool, you know, yeah, Yeah, being difficult, whatever. Because one could assume that they're entering it being like, hey, this is up, right? Yeah, that's that's the I'm I'm guessing that's the energy that they're bringing to this like, hey, this is fucked up, right? 
I think it was okay. So I think it was like they the the premise of the podcast at the time was to review bad video games, and this was just like an infamously bad video game. And I think that they were kind of in a position where they were like, they really they'd probably been asked a lot to do to cover that video game, but they probably felt that them as not native people weren't necessarily equipped to review the game. So they like felt like they needed a native person to like review it with them. And, you know, I guess that my two cents on that is like the video game is literally like the ghost of General Custer raping a native woman. Like what what review am I going to what what new yeah. insight am I going to I actually really like the gameplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's also it's, yeah. it's an Atari game, so it's not like you're going to be like pretty revolutionary as far. as. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The graphics yeah. are all like blocks, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of that was my my point was like, you know, it's sort of weird. You know, it's it's just like tokenizing to be asked to to like only be asked to guest on a show like that in that circumstance. And also like what revolutionary conversation am I going to bring to that game other than like it's bad. Yeah, it's real yeah. offensive, you know. So so I kind of felt like for me, at least like it was kind of this feeling of like, OK, like this is a really risky thing to do for my career. But it's like, you know, like as somebody who kind of felt like I was the first for a lot of native comedy stuff it kind of felt like okay like i need to like say something to hopefully make things better for like the next five native comedians who move to la and want to pursue comedy you know mm -hmm. because i feel like if i would have just done the podcast and just like said like oh yeah joke 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 you know like it i think would have painted it would have one made me feel gross to, as a, just as a human yeah you don't want to, that out there on the yeah well just like would have it's like there's some stuff where you're just like would i've been able to like sleep comfortably that night you know and it's like i think that there is some stuff like that that's just sort of like yeah it's would you like be able to like live with yourself to like make that decision and you know so for me it felt like more valuable to maybe use it as a productive conversation hopefully like just like a a, a tool that hopefully other podcast producers can use when they're booking native guests to maybe not book native guests in that way yeah i I think too, the other part of that, which is actually a theme I noticed in my research is that the native community, like the, the push I think that I'm seeing in a lot of media and, and a lot of things that are being creative is the assertiveness of establishing who you are and why certain things are not okay anymore. And that assertiveness is offensive to some people. There are people that are so unwilling to learn and so afraid of the risk of being called racist that they will like, look, I read the comments on, on a lot of your, your yeah, videos yeah. on YouTube, which don't do, but a lot of it is it's the same guy. It's always the same guy with a different name and a different address, but it's the same guy just being like, you know, oh no, here's why it's okay to use Native Americans as mascots. Like, and it's like, oh, I don't really feel like you're paying attention to this. You know, we tried coming in at, with humor, but the comments are not really reacting well. That assertiveness that I'm noticing, because I also researched some of your other stuff and, you know, I will even talk about it. Spirit Rangers, which is a show you wrote on for Netflix. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a writer consulting producer on it. Yep. Yeah. So I watched a couple episodes of that show and one oh, of thanks. the, one of the, well, of course I do my job. One of the, first off, my new favorite show. Oh, hell um, yeah. Everybody watched Spear Rangers on Netflix. Yeah. It's very good. Everyone, every, I, I love me a pre-K cartoon about being yourself. The first episode is like, hey, 
you can tell people that you exist in this world and that certain things are not okay. And you're allowed to do that. Like you're allowed to, you're allowed to express when something makes you uncomfortable. That is like the first lesson of the first episode where it's like, you know, there's, I think it's even like, it's funny because there's, there's a white guy stereotype named Chad with like a headdress on and the makeup. And I was like, well, they went for it. Where it's like, Hey man, Hey little man, what's going on? And I was laughing at, I thought the portrayal was very funny. And then it was like, oh yeah. So it's like the assertiveness of that. And that came back to the story that you wrote for Vulture about that and everything. And I was like, yeah, like, it seems like one of the things that you hate to go hardcore political, but like white privilege sort of makes you numb to is the fact that oftentimes when people have to assert their identity, people read it as aggression. Well, it's, it's, it's this weird thing. And I think that this is something that I've kind of like struggled with for a lot of my like kind of comedy career in that, you know, I moved to LA in 2010 and dove into the LA comedy scene with both feet, but I didn't like come out of the gate swinging with like, you know, sketch comedy videos and jokes about like, you know, pretendians or native sports mascots or whatever. Like probably the first five, six, seven years of my time in Los Angeles, I was writing like sketches and comedy shorts and stuff like that about like Batman or whatever, you know, there it is. And part of the, Man pays yeah, yeah, bills. Hell yeah. And like, part of it is, I think that, you know, it's like, I'll be honest. I'm like a lighter skinned native person. I'm like an enrolled member of a tribe. So I'm like, all I'm legit, but it's like, I'm a lighter skinned native person. Like I grew up on a res, but like, I feel like I watch reservation dogs and I'm like, I was the kid on the res that like sat inside and played video games. Like, you know, yeah. And like, I definitely, you know, the schools that I went to, I went to school on the reservation and definitely like, you know, my classmates were the kids from reservation dogs, you know, not literally, but like figuratively yeah. that, you know, like, so, you know, for like a long time, I kind of felt like, am I allowed to take space as like a native comedian? And, you know, this is like, and I've always been really passionate about my culture. Like, you know, my, my mom is somebody who, you know, she dances in powwows and stuff like that. Wait, were and, you, um, were you asking yourself this just because you're white passing? I mean, there's like, it's like white passing a little bit. Also just like, I, I feel like there's a common conversation among a lot of native folks that's sort of like, am I native enough? You know? And, and which it's like is common in on like all minority groups, right? Yeah, like, for sure. For that's sure. That's common in, in in all groups like that. I mean, it's, we hear that the black enough phrase. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's very yeah. much, it feels like it's a really, it's a very similar thing. And I, I talked to a lot of my other kind of like, you know, friends from marginalized communities about this stuff. And, you know, like I've, I've always been really passionate about my culture. Like I was like a mentor for the native student center at my college. I was like in, you know, all the native clubs in my high school. And, you know, I think that before I even Wait, did you say you class, go into school on the res? Yeah. Yeah. I went to school. It was like, kindergarten through like eighth grade and then that's kind of as far as kind of schools on the res took you and then if you wanted to go to high school you had to go like just off the res okay all right um, okay so there is no high school on the res so it's they, they've, they've since built one but the time okay. there was it just kind of went up to the eighth grade because i was um, going to say I, I think all groups would be native groups in that scenario right if you're on the res right 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 i mean you'd be you'd be surprised honestly like a lot of my classmates and people that i lived around were just you know it's it wasn't necessarily only native folks at that school or only native folks in the res. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like my, my one of my best friends growing up is just like a very white Mormon friend from a very Mormon family. And he just lived on the same cul-de-sac as I did on the res, you know? Okay. Um, so so yeah. that is some, that's fascinating to me because that's actually something I just didn't know. Oh, yeah, totally. That yeah. like Mormons would be 
even allowed to live on the right. I guess I guess I don't that that really peaks to my ignorance of reservation life as well, because like all of my reservation information has been gleaned primarily from reservation dogs. <laughs> reservation dogs in my Twitter. <laughs> Thunderheart, I guess. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A little scalped, bit of the Lone Ranger. Little, little bit of the Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp. Ooh. Kidding, kidding, kidding. <laughs> Man, that was a thing, huh? That was a thing. And that was only like 10 years ago. It was not long ago. Yeah. So, uh, so to answer your question, yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, there are 574 federally recognized tribes in the United States and hundreds more at the state level. And there's a ton of reservations and a ton of different reservation land. In different res, it's good to think of each tribe and each reservation as kind of its own sovereign nation, sovereign nation yeah. within the United States. So, with that in mind, every reservation kind of has their own like rules and specifics and stuff like that. But the reservation that I grew up on was very much like you know, it's like there wasn't it wasn't like only natives allowed or anything like that. And that was some in Washington. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like there are some people that lived there that weren't native just because it was like cheap land, you know, and or like rent was cheaper or whatever. But yeah, so yeah, so I growing up you know, in kind of my early time in the LA comedy scene, you know, I was like, I, I think that I like got involved in sort of native Hollywood, which is kind of like loose collection of native folks that work in Hollywood around 500 people, like before I even took a UCB class. So like, this is something that like, it felt like I was kind of living on two tracks where it's like, one part of my life was just trying to make it as like alt comedian in the UCB scene. Another part of my life was just, you know, being really involved in sort of the native entertainment industry and all that stuff. And, you know, I think that I just saw, I noticed, like, and I mentioned this earlier, like I had a lot of really funny friends who were native comedians in the native comedy, in the native Hollywood scene who were not getting these opportunities in, you know, places like the UCB and the Groundlings and whatever. So it kind of felt like to me, and I was also just like in a lot of classes where like students, other students and other comedians would bring in sketches and jokes that were just real racist toward native people. So, it, and then like, I would say like, oh, you should change that or like hey like maybe you shouldn't do that that's like kind of racist toward natives and they'd be like well is there a native in this room to say it is and i'd like pull out my tribal id card and set it in front of them that's a fucking um, baller move right there yeah, yeah yeah totally and it's like it kind of felt like okay i need to be like if if even if even just for visibility i need to be like a little bit louder about my identity Start just showing so that people wearing turquoise and not not quite. No, I, I'm that's where I am now just because I have TV writer money and can afford turquoise jewelry. Silver and turquoise, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It's that's you're my like, one vice is I buy a lot of native like jewelry. some fry bread. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. But yeah, it, it just kind of felt like the sort of thing where like just for a visibility thing so that people knew that there were native comedians in the LA comedy scene. I just started to kind of like you know, put it in my bio, mention it on podcasts and stuff like that. And then I put together like the first ever all native comedy showcase that UCB had ever done in like 2018, kind of as an opportunity to put together to, to like get all of my super funny native comedy friends and get them, you know, a, a nice UCB line item on their resume and hopefully some, you know, good tape and some good photos and stuff like that. So like, it was just kind of this weird thing where it wasn't like, it was kind of me realizing that it was important that I be more visible about myself. And it doesn't really, you know, it's like, I don't speak my tribe's language. I like, you know, I'm like a little bit more white passing, but it's like, if not, but like, I'm the only native person in this position to be able to be visible in this way. So it's like, I just need to do it, you know? Yeah. I and mean, it's something that I, and it's something I honestly just like really love doing too. I mean, it's like, I'm really proud of my culture and proud of, you know, and I love, there's so many funny native comedians and I'm, I feel really happy that I like get to do it. Yeah. yeah it was kind of a long rant, but you know, I was wanted to. No, that's, that's literally what a podcast is. 
So, oh no, oh god, yeah, it's sick. Yeah. You're like, sorry, I talked for almost an hour. I'm like, I've got huge news for you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. actually, funny, funny thing about podcasts, but I have producers, which is really interesting. I have people that they produce the show. They give me extra money over at Patreon.com/slash Jeff May. That's J E F F M A Y one word. If you sign up for the producer tier or the Two Face tier. You can write down an A and I'll say pretty much anything you want. I have <laughs> literally, I have no backbone as to what I will and will not say. I'm pretty open to anything because I, I need to survive. So I would love to, love to, love to shout out the following 20 names. And if I somehow missed your name, you need to DM me on Patreon and let me know because it means I probably didn't get it. But let's give a big, bad shout out to Justin Wood. Bart yeah. Bardigan. Yeah. I'm just going to say Dan. yeah after everyone. We love that one. Shout out to Dan Adamski, world's yeah. humblest man. Yeah. Shout out to Norm from Cheers. Oh, yeah. And Dan Hackroyd. Shout out to Dan Hackroyd. Whoa. Mindfreak555 says, stop Cop City. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Here, this one's controversial. Eat and die, the Goonies. <laughs> yeah, take that, Goonies. Are you, are you a fan of the Goonies? I would say that I'm the level of Goonies fan in that I rip off my shirt and reveal a Goonies tattoo. No, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that like I watched the movie when I was a kid. It was perfectly fine. Yeah, I hate it. I wish I didn't. I hated it from the moment I saw it as a kid. And I was, I, and even then watching it, I was like, I think something is broken in my head. Nice. I like this. Check out this month's Nerd with Dre and Jeff. And then Dre yeah. says, I can say anything about it. So I'll say we just did the Adventures in Babysitting episode, which is very exciting. And November is going to have the finale of our child neglect season of Nerd, where Dre is a, he's a sponsor. He he produces one show directly that we come yeah. together. And they don't just like neglect their child live on air. The podcast is just their kid yeah. being like, dad, I poisoned myself. And he's kid, like, whatever, kid. Shut up. <laughs> it's so funny because the season we did, it was like searching for Bobby Fisher. That, and, and it's basically just like, just like bad parenting is the theme of this month, of this season. <laughs> Great. Fun. Like adventures and babysitting. Very good. Which I love that movie, by the way. You ever see that movie? I don't think I've ever seen Adventures in Babysitting. I've heard good things, though. It's great. It is very good. Shout out to watch me use these prehensile nipples to pick up pennies off the floor. I feel so uncomfortable every time I read that. Shout out to the Oatmeal Savage. You an oatmeal fan? I honestly, okay, so I do I do like a good oatmeal. I'm going to say yes, I'm an oatmeal fan. What do, what do you put in oatmeal? So I don't necessarily, maybe I'll put like some raisins in it if I'm going crazy. But like honestly, oatmeal, right? Yeah, yeah, I I like to I like a pretty good like plain maybe a little bit of a little bit of maple flavoring oatmeal, a little brown sugar, a little brown sugar, yeah, a little brown sugar, a little ra what it, what is it about brown sugar and raisins that we're all just like you know what where brown sugar and raisins belong, oatmeal, and we all just collectively are like absolutely it's like bacon and eggs. There's no yeah, reason yeah. those two have been paired up, but they sure have been, and we're better for it. Do you think that the first person that paired bacon and eggs up thought he was a genius? It actually was a marketing genius. So yes, created by the advertising industry to- They're like, eggs ain't selling as well, but bacon, that's a hot cake. It was the opposite. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. I, I hate that I know this information, but yeah, bacon and eggs were paired up by an ad agency um, when they were trying by like, they were, I think it was for like the pork company or something or industry or whatever. And they were like, pair bacon and eggs together. That'll sell bacon because everybody eats eggs. Yeah, nailed that right. He was right. They 
Now, which to be fair, not to get all 2014 about it, but Bacon does pretty much pair well with everything. Um, yeah. I, I, okay. So I'm going to say like a very controversial take. I'm a big turkey bacon guy. I'm not a really big pork bacon. Turkey bacon's good for me though. They're both great. I think they're both great. It's all about, I mean, the thing about bacon in general is it's about the curing. Yeah, right. I, although I will, I will say vegan bacon is the worst. I don't and think I've ever had vegan bacon and I don't I've, imagine I would be excited about it. I have dated someone who was obsessed with it. And to me, it was like, do you remember buying packs of baseball cards and little sticks of gum? Yeah, it's if like that, that but bacon. If that was bacon flavored, that's what it, it was like. Shatter when you bite it. Yeah, and it's like clearly fakely drawn to look like bacon. Like it has a like little red and white waves in it. Yeah, what a! I really hope that whoever invented like specifically baseball card gum, that part of their pitch was like, "Get this! It's not chewy. It shatters like glass." Yeah, yeah Simpsons. Oh, I cut my cheek. <laughs> it's like good. You know, it's funny is we did when we did an episode of you don't even like sports cards and Dre actually from from nerd bought us me and Adam Todd Brown a box of 84 tops, which is a great year. Yeah, yeah. Mattingly rookie card. We've pulled one Mattingly rookie card and it was stuck to the back. Uh, No, because like if you get it at a high grade, it's like a twelve hundred dollar card. Jesus. And instead it came back worthless. Uh, It sucks. Very funny. Shout out to Call Me Sean or whatever. Shout out to uh, the wandering jolly holly unpierced left nipple of the Christmas fool. That's a good name. That sounds like I had a stroke while I was reading it, but that is <laughs> that is what it says. Are you, I don't know your religion. Do you celebrate, do you celebrate the holidays when we say the classic, the holidays? Talk about Jesus. I know I don't believe in Jesus Christ, but I like Christmas. I don't know. Is that a thing you do? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely like a good Christmas. I mean, if yeah. nothing else, it's an excuse to you know buy and receive presents from people you like. Presents are good. Yeah, presents you are like great. Presents. This is. I realized after I asked that that I'm so ignorant of the background that you have that I kind of am like, does that happen a lot where people are just like, what about this? Do you do you like this? Do you like do you, uh, like Christmas? Do you do Christmas? Like that? Th- yeah. Well, I think it's me, right? I mean, I think it's like, okay, so it is definitely something that happens more often than I would like. I'm re- um, I realized as I yeah, was going yeah, through yeah. it, I'm like, he probably gets this all the time. I mean, I think, okay, so I think that now I'm friends with a lot of people who basically like the, the way that I try to think about it is it's like, I'm okay with like, it's like if a friend asks me that question, like and it's coming from a real place i'm just like oh yeah sure yeah like you know like i totally get it one of the one of the shorts that we'll talk about in a second i'm sure is actually about like sort of the lack of education around native people and native issues like there's actually this really great research statistic from this really good illuminative or a really good native run nonprofit named illuminative that showed that like 87% of us schools don't teach native history past 1900 so like i'll get like wild questions from like people in the LA comedy scene who went to college and are in their thirties and forties of just like stuff like, do you have magic powers or like, were you born on a TP or like whatever? And it's like, I know they're not purposely doing it from a racist place, but it's always like. Magic uh, powers is an interesting cho- choice. of a yeah, 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 totally. Like, oh, so you're just like a moron in general. Yeah. It definitely is something that's like, oh, you're, or like sometimes people will like, sometimes I'll get weird DMS from like comedians that I barely know basically being like i want to get a dream catcher tattoo is that okay and i'm like okay so i guess that i'm i guess i'm a, a native you could google it you know <laughs> like 
but I mean, yeah, no. Is that okay? I, do you believe in them? <laughs> I guess that my my answer to that is that like Dreamcatchers are really specifically like an Ojibwe or a Lakota thing, depending on which tribe you listen to, and like that that's that's like the Dakotas, whereas my tribe is like Western Washington. So West. like so like I don't know like I don't know. Ask me about totem poles. That's a my tribe thing. You know? That's right. The Pacific Northwest. Totem yeah, poles. yeah. That's because, yeah, I meant I remember that is referenced in one of the videos. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of nature, how about this one? Eat and die, Grand Canyon. Hell yeah, you, Grand Canyon. Have you been? No, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I, I was at the Four Corners National Monument, actually, for the first time ever, which is kind of near the Grand Canyon a couple months ago. And you just drove by the Grand Canyon and flipped it off? <laughs> no, I was very, I definitely, no, I'm just kidding. I like the Grand Canyon. I was thinking about visiting, but I was, it was a short, it was like a, I, I got flown out to like speak on a bunch of panels and stuff for like an event. And, um, oh, what was so the event? Was, um, it was this thing called the Native Youth Summit. It's this event put on by this really cool native nonprofit called Protect the Sacred. And basically it's like, they get a bunch of like kind of na future native youth leaders who are like age 16 to like age 25 and they bring them to this really cool school in New Mexico and they bring a bunch of like, you know, I, I guess I could say like prominent native folks to like kind of give talks. And you felt you know. so uncomfortable saying that because you're <laughs> a part of that group. Yeah, yeah. To, you know, give talks and, you know, host panels where we talk about where we talk about like, you know, uh, just sort of like the panel that I, was, that I was on was specifically about like working in the entertainment industry and it's like talking about like you know the the potential to like you could work in the entertainment industry if you want to like my, my story is that like I I went to school to be like a small market tv weather guy because I didn't see any native comedians on tv and didn't think I was like allowed to work in comedy the only native comedian I'd ever seen was that really racist Fred Armisen impression on Saturday Night Live oh yeah that counts that counts does that is that <laughs> does that count no, that does not count. Does that count? Does that count? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I like that you coached it by that really racist impersonation from a not native person. Well, I mean, it's I mean, Fred Armisen, man, they made him the chameleon of of SNL for the longest time. Yeah, but and now you're Obama. But so you know, like, so I, I I I like to speak on panels and stuff like that whenever I'm asked to, just because it's like I basically want to tell as many like you know native, not just not just kids, but like it's native folks that like. Working in the entertainment industry is something you can do. I do it. It's very fun. There's a bunch of native people here. We, we love it. It's great. Please do it. You know, yeah. just like, yeah. So yeah, that was, so I woke up early for the day I was speaking on the panel and drove to the Four Corners Monument and took a selfie. And then I was like, I wish I could go to the Grand Canyon. And I didn't. So I'm sorry. I disagree with the person who said F the Grand Canyon. It's me. Oh, no. Because I hate the Grand Canyon. I mean, I don't, just don't give a shit about the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I think that that's fair. You could have no opinion, but I feel like hate is such a strong emotion for a hole in the ground yeah i'm i think i'm just unimpressed at the hype because i guarantee you this is what will happen is i will go i will go there at some point in time i think they want to crown crowdfund a trip for me to just go like oh you trip. just like hate it hate it like, like it's your thing and i just it. i'll get there and this is what i'll do i'll look at it and i'll be like yeah that's just what what it looks like on the postcards and then i'll leave and i think that might have to do with like because the way you were where you're like i was an inside kid playing video games was me but on a farm like so but like so you've nature, like seen nature yeah nature is but nature is also like work ah i get that it's, it's like what is it when i was going into the woods it was to like stack firewood for the winter that's not fun i feel like that's that's the feeling that i get when like when i tell friends back home who don't work in the entertainment industry like 
like, oh yeah, I had like a meeting at, you know, this network or this streamer, or I pitched a show. They're just like, wow, that must be like amazing. And then I'm like, I mean, it'll be amazing if the thing sells. <laughs> like, it's just. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I'm actually just now getting those Facebook memories of the show I had that got taken away at the last minute. Oh no. And just being like, like I'm seeing them where we like, we filmed at LA Comic Con and I'm getting all these Facebook messages, like memories going. Hey, what was the, what was the show? If you know what I'm asking. Yeah, I guess we we're we're a long time, a long time past. So it was, it was basically called Star like, Wars episode seven. <laughs> it was, it was sort of like, and I think I've talked about it before, but it, it was, yeah, it was Star Wars. No, sort of like an antiques road show at Comic Cons. Oh, that's a really fun and idea. And I was a historian. And then it was like, we were gonna go and then it was like last minute it got taken away which is fine because that's how the, i didn't realize that's how this town worked i'd only been living here for four years when i got offered this job and right. they were like we're building this up around you we're making you know we're gonna make you great and and then to see it like and you're like my life is gonna change after this and then yeah literally like last it was like three days before we were supposed to we were actually supposed to go to like salt lake city salt lake comic-con and then they at the last minute just bailed. Yeah, I think that that's like that's a lesson that I learned really early in the entertainment industry is that like don't celebrate stuff until like it's on TV or in a theater and also you got paid for it. <laughs> like, dude, the 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 game show that I was on, I had to sit for six months knowing how much money I had won and I couldn't say anything obviously. And then yeah, I got out and I was like, hey, yep, I was on. There I was. I was on that show. Um, yeah, yeah. I've 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 pitched TV shows where literally, like in in the room, they've said we're gonna buy it and like spend so much money on making it, and then like two weeks later, that I'll hear nothing, and then I'll see in the trades that company collapsed or something, and it's like turns out they were buying kinda, everything. Yeah, yeah. They told that to everybody. Maybe they shouldn't have told that to as many people. You Maybe know? they shouldn't have spent all that money on. Sh yeah, or let or they should have spent that money on one more show, my show, and they, right. that would have been nice. But then that show would have disappeared. Yeah, but 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 I would have gotten paid for it. That is true. Shout out to who wins in the what if crossover. We truly deserve doo-doo suit Bruce versus doo-doo suit Logan. I believe that is a reference to Batman the Animated Series, Bruce, where he wears that ugly brown suit with the yellow Ah, that shirt. is an ugly brown suit. And then, but then also like Wolverine in his red, black, brown costume. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Logan wins that one. So Matt, you can DM me. We can change that name now. We know who wins. Yeah, I mean, Batman's only superpower is that he's rich. So like, yeah, Logan has claws. Yeah, he's smart. Yeah, but like mostly he's rich. That is true. That is the Ben Affleck joke in what was it? The Justice League, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, What's your power? He's like, I'm rich. Shout out to the producer formerly known as the ghost of Dave Thomas. Shout out to Aldo Vargas, is a couple months behind in his podcast, but you know, he'll hear this eventually. Shout out to Carson. That's good. That's a strong one right there. Is it like all caps Carson or like a lowercase Carson? It's Carson Daly. Oh, whoa. It's literally just a photo of him. That's nice. Which is nice. Yeah, he's a huge. I, hope he's, I, hope he's... I think he does. He's on like, I think I saw recently he did an interview talking about that girl that like threatened to kill like the Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC. And one girl's like, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill you too, Carson. And they're like, I don't remember this, but now I have so many questions about that girl. Yeah. Well, I don't think she was doing well on TRL that time. Uh -huh. Shout out to Mr. Billy Beck. Shout out to the Tubi Terror Bunny says support workers egg Bob Iger. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. Screw him.
And I believe that is the list. If you want to have me and my guests pontificate on your name, head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff May and sign up for the producer tier or the two-faced tier, and we will get that done. The two-faced tier, you also get cards and stuff in the mail. That one's really fun. Make cards like trading cards? Yeah. Oh, that's rad. I open trading cards on camera, and dude, it is so fun. That's really fun. It is really fun. You, did you ever collect trading cards as a kid? Yeah, so I, I collected a really specific, like I collected weird trading cards. So like I'm going to pull out a pack right next to me of a thing called Dinosaur Attack. I have I have opened those on camera. I have oh, several they're... packs in my studio right now. Oh, it's such a fun, like anybody listening, definitely buy some Dinosaur Attack trading cards. It's all just like very violent photos of just like i don't know kids blowing up dinosaurs with bazookas and stuff it's so what you do you know the history behind dinosaurs attack i i know that the i think that it's either the sequel or the prequel to mars attack right sequel. which is yeah. mars attacks is the 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 movie series that came out but yeah wait what's the wait is there any story so, other than that? okay so tops mars attacks was created in the 60s as a weird trading card thing and it became very popular and then in the 80s tops was like let's do dinosaurs attack and they kind of use the same exact art style, which is that sort of pulp paint yeah. um, that they use for them. Um, and it's just grisly art. It's just like, it's really dark. So you'll see like Brontosaurus is stepping on dogs and stuff. It's like, it's super dark. And yeah, we did. I'll try to remember, and I'm sure somebody in the comments can even post a link if they want to the episode where I covered dinosaurs attacks. We opened some packs, but they are great. That's a great choice. Yeah, I'm looking at a pack right now that's it's called Meltdown, and it's two dinosaurs fighting fighting in front of like a nuclear power plant, and then in the foreground is a person whose face is melting off due to radiation. <laughs> hell yeah, like, man! Hell yeah, it rocks. <laughs> and I think there's actually a story if you have all the cards, because the first couple of cards are like scientists in a theater, and then you see like a warp wall open up, and you see like dinosaurs looking through. So like. I really hope the last card is just the dinosaurs one. Oh, what's his, yeah. it's just Spielberg stole that for the end of Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. It's just them doing when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Yeah, no, those are great. So we 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 do open those and and then because I do not want to have a massive collection of cards, I mail them out. Uh, oh, that's really nice. People. So we open them and then people call dibs on whatever they want. We do lots of Batman stuff, lots of lots of superheroes. So you like weird stuff, Dinosaur's Attack, what else? I would say Dinosaur Attack, and then I'm just a big pro wrestling fan, so a lot of like WCW trading cards from the 90s. I got um, several packs of those here too. Like, I feel like when I was in my 20s, I definitely bought a box of like Yo! MTV Raps trading cards. Just opened those last week. They're great. I opened those on Wednesday. Nice. Yeah. So we are... We are simpatic. Dude, you should come over. We'll do it. We'll do a break sometime. Yeah. I'll have you come no, over. I'm telling you, we we hit it off really well. Like yeah. as both of us were unending relationships, we just broed out on that rooftop about nerd stuff. It was great. I, to be fair, I was new to that relationship. <laughs> oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. That would have been July of like 2018. I was like, Yeah, something I like that. I was pretty new. Got it. Uh, but yeah, that's that that is definitely something that like, you know, we've definitely synced up because you're a comic book guy, right? So I'm not a comic book guy. I did work at Nerdist for a while. I was like an in-house staff writer and like on camera talent and stuff like that. And so I think that I had to become a comic book guy by virtue of having to write new stories about the MCU every day. Yeah. Um, but but I think that I'm just generally a dork. So it's like you name <laughs> sure. a nerd, nerd specialty, I probably like know at least a little bit about it. Yeah. Well, because it's like you have to be 
the, this phrasing is embarrassing, but you have to kind of be mired in the zeitgeist a little bit. Yeah, totally, like, totally. If, if you want to exist in that on this plane, I guess like you have like I don't know. I do not watch Doctor Who, but I have to know a little bit about it to survive in that world and to push people to a direction where they will meet somebody that knows more. Well, yeah, it's like you have to know what a TARDIS is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and oh, like, it's way bigger on the inside than you think it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's all you need. Like, oh, it's the regeneration. Okay. So it's actually the yeah. doctor, not doctor. Like, oh, there's a new doctor. I, I understand what that means. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. You know, like that. That's I'm like, oh, good, good for them. They're going to a new guy uh, or a new day. Who knows? But yeah, I, I definitely do sort of enjoy sort of like existing in that world. So yeah, I did just open a lot of the yo mtv raps cards the rock the pro set rock cards as well nice and yeah we've done dinosaurs attacks i have wcw here i got all i got all the good stuff man hell yeah you know i just opened up a fully bricked pack couple of packs of uh frank frazetta cards and i was really bummed about that wait they, what what was what okay tell me what these cards are okay do you know what bricking is in in cards well what is bricking so in the 90s, cards were usually given like an, a weird gloss. Before that, cards generally were mostly just cardboard with like a slight, like one yeah. side would be smoother than the other. Yeah. Uh, around the early to mid 90s, they started doing a higher gloss around 1992, and it would be glossed on both sides of the card. And so what happens is if they're ever stored in hot conditions, the cards literally melt together. Oh, gross. Because the 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 epoxy or whatever it is that, yeah. you know, the gloss starts melting into each other. And because there's two sides of it, it's basically warming just, up. You get, a, you get a brick of a card that basically a bunch of cards that basically become a brick and they become worthless, okay. which is like dangerous if they're because there are very valuable card sets from that era, like the right. masterpieces and stuff. But if you oh, open, those were so good, I used to collect those. I bought a box. We did a box of 92 Marvel masterpieces. They wanted 450 for them. That makes sense. I talked them down to 200 by saying, I'm going to assume these are bricked up. And if they're not bricked up, or if they are bricked up, I will eat the $200. I will ah. accept that gamble and I will still have content and, and whatever. But I cannot in good conscience pay $450 for something that is probably destroyed. And they weren't bricked. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. We got we fell really deep into the trading card hole, and I did <laughs> this for a while because I accidentally. By the way, if you think cat Facebook group people are dramatic, let me tell you about sports card people. Oh, I can imagine these, and it's like, and every once in a while, I'll just be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're unhappy with the cardboard rectangle of a photo of a man, a boy playing a but game." I mean, there's also all those news stories of just grown adults trampling children so they can get Pokemon cards before them. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm just glad people have stuff that makes them happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. As long as you're not being a dick about it, that's all. That's all well and good. So, Gone Native. That is sort of like that's your show. It seems like, and and you will be obvious that you worked in conjunction with Comedy Central on this. Yeah, so Gone Native, it's a, a series of animated comedy PSAs about just like weird microaggressions that Native folks often experience. All the shorts have uh, very long and unwieldy names. The first one is called Telling People You're Native American When You're Not Native. It's a lot like telling a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear. The title is 24 words long, basically a Fiona Apple album title if there ever was one. 
And, you know, I originally created this, honestly, just as one short to screen at that, that UCB Native Comedy Showcase that I talked about that we did in 2018. And it just did really well and um, went through the festival circuit, screened at, a dozen, at, at dozens of festivals, won a bunch of awards. And it um, ended up winning um, this really great comedy incubator lab called the Yes and Laughter Lab that Comedy Central um, is associated with. So the first short basically got me on Comedy Central's radar. They produced the the second short, the, the Native Sports Mascot episode, and that did really well for them, got probably around a million views across kind of their various social channels. And, you know, basically we, you know, continue to work together on, you know, future shorts that I produced, they distributed them. So they're kind of, you know, definitely under the Comedy Central umbrella, as, at least as far as like distribution yeah. goes. Yeah, that the the mascot one is interesting because it's it's such an such a like at the forefront of the conversation thing like that seems to be even though it's like, you know, I mean, I, I can't possibly gauge what is and is not important as far as native rights, but like something that seems like it would be something trivial is the sort of forefront of what people tend to talk about because sports, you know, like Washington. Yeah, for sure. Such a, like that being, I think the most egregious one and then chief Wahoo. Yeah. yeah. In Cleveland. I always, this is the Seminoles. Is that one where they like worked with the, the tribe? Yeah, so I, I don't totally know the deal with the Florida Seminoles, but as far as I like, don't, don't like definitely do you know yeah. look into this yourself and stuff like that. Don't completely take my word for it, but I'm under the impression that the Florida State Seminoles is working directly with the Seminole Nation to make sure that any Seminole representation is accurate. So like the the colors of the Florida State Seminoles match the colors on, I believe, the Seminole Nation flag. You know, the regalia that their mascot wears is accurate to, you know, actual members of the Seminole Nation. You know, I, I think that the way that my, my personal attitude, and I'm, you know, just one native dude, I'm not speaking for everybody, yeah. is that like, I think that all native mascots are not great, but there are like different levels of bad. So the most I don't think anybody would be like Chief Wahoo. What's racist about that? Yeah, totally, totally. It's like Chief Wahoo or the, you know, the Washington DC NFL team, their old name. It's like, those are definitely like, oh, the extreme level of like, oh, this is just a name about genocide. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, but. And I think like the Braves when you're like, mm, and then it's like the Tomahawk chop. You're like, okay, well, don't do that. Yeah, the Tomahawk chop is wild because like uh, something that's often said of, said by fans of these teams is to native folks is this is okay because we're honoring you. And the Tomahawk Shop is like so crazy because like, you know, the the chant they do along with it. Oh. Yeah, 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 totally. That's not like- How it sounds like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, like no, no tribe does that. That came from like a beer commercial in the 60s where there was like a bear wearing a headdress dancing around a fire while doing that chant to promote beer. <laughs> like, you know, so Classic. it's like- yeah, yeah, totally, Classic. totally. You don't, yeah, and you know what? We never get to learn about that in history classes anymore. Because yeah, totally. 1900. But it's like, you know, so so I feel like there's this weird feeling of like, okay, we're honoring Native people by doing a chant from a beer commercial in the 60s that had no Native people involved in it, you know? Yeah. They're like, um, no, 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 you don't understand. We're doing the peace pipe thing from Peter Pan. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. No, no, maybe that's not the thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I always found that interesting. What I found interesting about the Seminoles, I didn't realize they own Hard Rock. Oh, yeah. The Seminole Nation is, they own the Hard Rock. And I think that they also bought the Palms Casino in Vegas, I believe. Oh, hell yeah. It's yeah, they're doing great. Yeah, yeah. 
They're yeah, taking yeah, totally. take another land now. Oh, 100%. Whenever I see like a news story about like a tribe buying something big and expensive, I'm just like, hell yeah. Like, um, yeah. Fucking my tribe, do it, baby. Yeah, yeah. My tribe, we actually just opened up a really nice. And l- let me just preface this by saying like, every tribe does not have a casino. It's very much just only like top 1% tribes have casinos. It's, it's kind of a rarity for tribes to have casinos, but it's sort of become yeah. a stereotype just because they're big and visible. But yeah, we had the biggest just, one was uh, yeah. right in my backyard in, in Connecticut. Oh, nice. Wait, which one? It was Foxwood. So Foxwood's and Mohegan Sun. Oh, cool. Yeah. Both were within an hour, less than an hour from my... Yeah, my my tribe, we actually partnered with the Mohegans to um, build a really nice um, hotel casino, like 20 minutes north of Portland on our kind of Aboriginal territory. Yeah. Um, I just like visited there. Uh, we just opened up a really nice hotel like in April and I just visited it for the first time um, like last week. And it's just like, I don't know, it's... Part of me is like so excited to see, you know, my tribe having like a really nice, you know, casino, yeah. which helps, you know, the money from that goes to help pay for like language programs and culture, you know, restoration and stuff like that. But like, I feel like it's also made me really competitive toward other tribes casinos now. Yeah, where it's we, like, need to, we need to ruin more lives in our casino. No, nah, it's more like it's like I'll go to another tribe's casino and I'll just see like a stain on the ground. And I'll be like, you know, I have stains in my tribe's casino. Like we're clean. Our, our <laughs> like, brand new casino. Yeah. Like, oh, you got two. You got two restaurants. We got four. Like, you know, it's that kind okay. of competitiveness. <laughs> yeah, we went. Foxwoods is massive. Oh, I'm sure. In fact, I mean, Foxwoods was at the time like the biggest casino in America. Yeah. Which that's fun. That's where I spent my celebrated my 21st birthday. Nice. And I did fine. For the last time, <laughs> that was the last time you were okay. <laughs> Dude, I made so much money there. So I was, I, I, I had a trick where I would bring money to lose. I do this every time. I bring a certain amount of money to lose, and then when I win stuff, I put it in my pocket and I keep it ah, up until that's I smart. lose all the money. And when all the money I brought to lose is gone, I get up and walk from the table, and then I check what I have in my pocket, and I did that, and walked away with like nine hundred dollars or something like that. Which for a 21-year-old in college is all of the money on the planet. Yeah, I think that like casinos are so dangerous because I feel like even if you're up, there is this feeling of like you could double it. Yeah, yeah, it's the double or nothing energy. Do you, are you a gambler at all? I'm not, no, I'm honestly not, not really much of a gambler. I've definitely like gone to a couple of casinos with friends and like definitely done that thing where it's like, okay, as a group, we've got $200. We're going in. Oh, we're up like $2,000. Okay, but what if we had $4,000? You know, and it's more than two. lose all of it. Yeah, yeah. Dude, when I was on the game show and I had I had won 250 Nice. And they were like, you know, you could next, if you get the next question right, you get half a million. And I was like, yeah, but if I get it wrong, I go back down to 75 and that means I lose 175000 and I was because I was imagining that money in my bank account. Yeah, I was going. And so once I was there, I was like, I have a quarter of a million dollars in my bank account right now. If I gamble and lose, I will have lost one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, which is more money than I've ever had in my life. Right. So that to me was like the like the thing that made me walk. I probably could have gotten the question right. And I do think about like, what what if I had gotten more money? But you know what? I didn't. And I got a lot of money and I felt good about it. But yeah, I mean, you honestly sound like one of the best gamblers I've ever talked to. (laughs) It just sounds like a very healthy, like, yeah, like the idea of, you know, you're coming into the casino with $200 and you're like, well, if I lose $200, I'm out. That doesn't matter. Like you're, you're separating how much you gain versus how much you lose, you know? Yeah. The lose, the losses are how the fun I'm purchasing. 
That's yeah, what, yeah. Like, think of it as like a ticket to a sporting event or something like that. I go in being like, I have these $300 that I have saved to lose here. Like, this is how I'm going to spend some of my time. Ironically, in Thanksgiving weekend, I go every Thanksgiving. I go, oh. I spend Thanksgiving in Vegas. So I'm a dirtbag. Also, the rooms after the only thing I paid for was parking. I'm staying nice. at like Mandalay Bay on Thanksgiving and I am spending $70 for three days. Wow. Just because nobody's in Vegas for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And like, you know, you rack up points because I gamble oh, got it, yeah, yeah. and they're like, you have points. You want, you want a cheap room? And I was like, and this was in January. Wow. I was like, yeah, let's see what the prices are in November because nobody had looked at November. The prices were so low that even like the resort fees were zero, which wow. seemed wrong, but I paid. Wait, do you drive to Vegas? Or do you fly to Vegas? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I, not a bad drive. Not only is it not a bad drive, but I've flown to Vegas twice or three times for Star Trek for STLV. And every time from Burbank to Vegas, I get sick on the the landing approach into Vegas. That's really funny. I actually, I think that STLV was my first like live show that I did post like, you know, got did you, go, to... you went to Star Trek Vegas? Yeah, yeah. This was, I want to say in 2021, 2022. I want to say 2020. Dude, we were there together without knowing oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I, it was my first time at a Star Trek convention, but they asked me to guest on a bunch of podcasts that they were doing live. And like, I, I drove just because I kind of realized like, I was like writing on the Spirit Rangers at the time. And it was like, okay, my last meeting of the day is at 6 p.m. If I leave at like 6.30, I'll get to Vegas at like 9.30 or 10. That's just like a normal, that's like not an insane, you know, that's a normal yeah. time to arrive someplace. And then woke up in the morning, you know, got a full night's sleep and, you know, did the convention. It was cool. Yeah, You can also, you can stop at the, you can stop at the Cracker Barrel in Victorville. Yeah. There's also the Barstow McDonald's is real fun. You can always stop at Barstow. Yep. Um, so yeah, I always go leave Black Friday morning. And by the time I hit those outlets on the way back home for Black Friday, all the people are like out of the way and I can just go and get like whatever pairs of jeans I need. That's awesome. So like it's, I just stop on the way back to LA and I grab like the, my next year's running shoes at the A6 outlet for $30. Cause nobody buys 13s. Nice. It's like kind of perfect. If I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of a perfect scenario and I don't hate it. I mean, there are those weird little like LA hacks. I feel like it's like something like that, where it's like, you just figured out how to do Thanksgiving perfectly. Yeah. And it's by leaving LA. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Dirtbag Thanksgiving, the gone natives. So yeah, you, you have a few, they, they range anywhere from like, you know, things you're not supposed to say to a native American because it's utterly insane and, and rude to be like, this is my spirit animal, which people still do. Like the spirit animal thing might be the most egregious thing people just say all the time. So I think that there's the spirit animal thing, which is saying like, oh, such and such is my spirit animal or whatever. What's honestly more egregious to me than that is like when you're, you know, having a conversation with somebody and they say like, oh, we should have a powwow about it. And it's like that to me is just such a like. When I tell people like, oh, you shouldn't say that. It's like a very specific native thing. They'll be like, oh, I had no idea. I just thought that's what a meeting was, you know? And yeah, my response is always just like, you know, with... yeah, for sure, for sure. And like my response is always just like, okay, like the only way that I'm going to let you call it a powwow is if there's like fry bread and illegal fireworks there. If that's not there, then that's not a powwow. That's fair. You're like, if there's one shady drug dealer in the back, 
that everybody yeah yeah totally 100 yeah but and this was something that was really fun about making these shorts and like you know i think that for me like being asked so many just like weird questions about native stuff and asked kind of my opinion about things that like you know kind of feel like it shouldn't necessarily be something you need to like ask a fellow human about i really wanted to basically create like kind of an easy resource to like you know educate people through jokes about just like you know these weird things that like native people run into often and like you know i, I remember like the the kind of the original inspiration for the series was this was around 2018 I saw somebody, a few of my friends were po were going to a protest about the Washington DC NFL team, which at the time, you know, had a not great name for native folks. And there was somebody who commented on their social media post about it saying something to the effect of, I just got my DNA test in the mail and I found out I'm 116th Indian and I think the team name is fine. So everybody just lay off. And, you know, I definitely saw that and thought to myself, like, cool take, bro, real cool. But I couldn't really find anything to maybe like educate this person about why what they're saying was maybe not the coolest thing ever, aside from just like 10 page long think pieces about native identity. Yeah. And I'm like, that guy's not going to read that, but he might watch like a two minute animated comedy short pack with jokes, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of the initial like sort of kernel of inspiration for the, sh for the series is understanding that there is this really big gulf between what non-natives know about native people and what the actual truth is about native people which is ultimately we're all just like humans trying to like live our best lives yeah and you know so i wanted to basically create something that like could both educate non-natives about this stuff while actually while also hopefully acting as like kind of a catharsis for native people who are like tired of having these conversations yeah so you know if they're in a meeting and somebody says like blah, blah, like chester cheetah's my spirit animal or whatever instead which of having that is. like yeah. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. Everybody's. Um, he's, he's all of our spirit animals. Yes. Yeah. He's the. He is the Earth's spirit yes. animal. We yeah, are. Yes. Mother Gaia has granted. Is <laughs> Chester Cheetah. Uh, Chester Cheetah. Oh, cheese. Yeah. Yeah. A a one hundred percent sex offender, meth doubt. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Sunglass wearing, junk food junkie. But you know, basically, I in my ideal situation, it's like. If you're at work or at school and like your professor or your boss says something as their spirit animal, you can just like send him one of my shorts instead of having that awkward 15 to 20 minute explainer conversation. And, you know, it's like you're right. It's like sometimes the comments can be kind of weird on it. But like I feel like just in person, I've like heard nothing but great things from people like the series is like nominated for awards. It's screened everywhere from like just for laughs to the Smithsonian Museum. So it's like. You know, yeah, they're going to be asked. Smithsonian? Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever a native person does comedy, they just got to take it and put it in a museum. It's just, it's a rule. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> I, congratulations on you guys. You know, that's ultimately, that's a historical win. No, I feel like I mean, you guys are actually up now. Yeah, yeah. No, they're very nice. They screened it as part of a couple of like events that they have where they boost up like native filmmakers. But yeah, basically, it's just, you know, like, and I've seen such great like feedback from people. It's like, yeah, you know, Sometimes comments suck, but I think that for the most part, like it's like a net good and people are getting a lot of use out of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of native folks and non-native folks like who, you know, I'll, I'll screen it live at something who will come up to me afterwards and like thank me for creating like an easy resource, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the commenters. Come, come right in the A, which is also that's like a stand, unless it's a positive comment, then thank you so much. Thank you. We, you have no idea how important these comments are for us. If you're a negative commenter, hey, don't do that.
Cut it out. <laughs> so these are accessible. Yeah, you can you can watch all five shorts at gonnative.tv. And then something that I, I think is really cool about the the website is that it's got links to all five shorts, you know, the the credits and all that. And we had a lot of really great native talent kind of work on all these shorts with me. We had Ramon Zaragoza, who's one of the stars of Ghosts on CBS, voiced an episode called Dear Stephen King, instead of using Indian burial grounds in your short in your stories, have you thought about using European burial grounds? Fun note about that. That is the episode I want to talk about. It's the bonus content. Oh, great. Perfect. So I have, I have weird, not weird opinions, but I, I am I have never mind. We'll talk. We'll oh talk no, no, no. I'm like, I'm excited yeah. to talk about it. But Saruman Zaragoza from Ghost on CBS voiced that. We had a lot of really great native anim talent, you know, behind the camera animating episodes. Marie, yeah, you guys highlighted it, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. In one of the episodes, you literally say, like, look, they're like, yeah. we're entertainers, we're we're writers and animators, and we do all, and like, it's literally like it circles the credits and be like, look, we're here. Yeah. When, and for me, it's like, that's like, you know, like I'm a native comedian, but I'm also like so excited to boost up other native comedians, just kind of realizing that, like, oh, if I've got like my foot, like a toe in the door, I'm going to try to get as many people in with me, you know? Kick the door in, man. Yeah, totally, totally. So it's like, so, like you, you guys know. were here first, you might as well take it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're we, we land back. The, the land, the land that that door was built on was our yeah. land. So let like, us let us in the door. Land back, but also opportunities back. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So like, I was able to you know like have a lot of really fun native comedy talent. You know, voice you know the shorts and you know do animation and stuff like that on them. And something that I really love about the website is that. You know, originally I, I wanted this to be like a first step for people to learn more about these issues. But like just knowing that like there's such a gap between what people know, what most non-natives know about native people and what, you know, the actual truth is about native people is that for each short, if you go to the episode page for each short, there are links to like articles and resources that can give you a deeper dive that. as to like why native sports mascots are weird or like why you shouldn't call something your spirit animal and stuff like that. So that hopefully like people can get more educated in a real way than I can supply in a two minute short filled with jokes. You know, one of the things that you state in, I think almost every video is native people are not a monolith. That is, that tends to be the main, like a big point that you tend to make is like, Hey, look, we're talking at this general consensus. Native people do not all think the exact same. And by saying that, that seems like the negative commenters were like, oh, but now you want to, you're saying that we can't do this. And it's just like, it really is the, I have a black friend so I can say it energy in the comments where you're like, do you guys not even read Oh, it? yeah. When I, and I think that people like, there's this weird thing with native comedy where like, I think that when people get defensive, it's when their like worldview gets changed or like at all challenged, right? Yeah. And I think that for native folks, we're in this like really weird spot. We're just telling somebody that we exist still is changing their worldview. Which so, Spirit Rangers, that's literally the first episode is we still exist. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. So like, I think that, you know, that's kind of how I read those comments is yeah. like that, like, I feel like a lot of commenters, you know, who don't like, you know, native comedy or native content or native stories just their mind's blown that native people are still here, you know, and like they need to process that before they're like, also they're funny comedians and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. It is, it is something. Cause like, you know, I have a history degree, you know, like I just, I have that degree and, and I, my degree was, you know, primarily in American history. And yet, unless you signed up for 
classes about native history, you don't get a lot of that information. And so it is fascinating to me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being and I have blind spots, you know, but something that I have a degree in, something that I have an advanced right. degree in that I still have all these blind spots that I, I, I feel a little dumb, but it's also like, I mean, it's not, is it my fault that I didn't learn this stuff? I guess in a way I could have pursued it, but I try not to get too hard on myself about not knowing this, but also at the same time, I'm trying desperately not to just be like, and we discussed this earlier, me being like, well, what about this? What is this a thing? What are you guys doing? I think that tends to be your average American view on native life. Yeah, well, but I think that things are changing in a really cool way. I mm -hmm. mean, like, you know, Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls were the first two shows created by native people on U.S. television. And those came out in like 2021. Like, yeah. you know, Spear Rangers is the first kids animated series created by a native person with an all native writers room, like for, you know, like in the United States. And that came out like last year, you know, yeah, yeah. So there's I, two so... seasons and it still says 2023 on it. So yeah, yeah, 100%. Which, so, by like... the way, in because we're we're about to get into plugs, but I and I will say this very specifically because I, I will endorse something that I didn't make. You know, <laughs> you could. I mean, we all come on here and be like, check this out, check that out. If you have young children, I cannot stress enough: you should get them to watch at least dive into the first couple episodes of Spirit Rangers. I think I saw that those first couple episodes and was like this would have been incredibly informative for people a very long time ago to be entertained by that stuff and be exposed to it. So shout out to the creator and, and the rest of the creative staff that was involved in that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Big shout out to Chris Valencia. She, she was the creator showrunner of the show. She's a member of the Shumash tribe and there were around hundred native folks as part of the casting crew. I feel, you know, very blessed that I was able to be a writer consulting producer on it for the whole run. And, you know, it's, it's just a show that I'm like so proud of. And it's, you know, I, I think that there's this energy with a lot of native folks in Hollywood that are like, this is like, we understand that we're the first to do these things. And I think this speaks to a lot of other things that I've talked about, like earlier on this podcast about like kind of this energy of like if i'm the first in the door i gotta swing for the fences you know yeah. and hopefully you know create a path one create good work so that there are more native tv shows and more native comedians on podcasts and stuff like that to create hopefully more opportunities for people coming in behind me so that i'm not so that like it doesn't stop at me being the first there's a second and a third and fourth and fifth yeah. and etc um, but then, you know, in addition to that, it's like, we're working really hard to hopefully like create a path for like, you know, other native folks kind of coming in to like, you know, know how to run a TV show. Like, like me, you know, speaking on that, the, the, at that native youth summit, it's like talking to, you know, you know, native folks in their twenties about like, oh, here's how you pitch a TV show or whatever. And it's like, we don't necessarily have like a native Spielberg or a native Christopher Nolan or whatever at this point, you know, folks like Sterling Harjo who created Reservation Dogs is like on his way up. But, you know, being able to share knowledge with like other native folks who are like just kind of entering into comedy or the entertainment industry or whatever is I think something that like, it's just like leaving the ladder down and leaving the door open and pulling people up with you and up next to you and stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's so cool to like be able to do that. And I feel like there's a lot of other native folks working in the entertainment industry that have like similar attitudes. Well, you don't need me to tell you that I'm proud of you, but I, I am stoked at the success that you've had and what you're doing with it. 
a lot of people will reach the success and they will be solely focused on their own individual accomplishments and will not sort of bring other people up with them. And, and what you just said, I think is really great. Folks, check out Gone Native. It's definitely fun, fun to watch, really good stuff. If you got young kids, Spirit Rangers is fantastic. If you're in LA and you want to see people bicker about cats, check out the LA Underground Cat Network. But if you want to hear more from Joey and pay close attention to him, you can find him on Twitter, and that's what it's called, at Joeytainment, and on Instagram at Joey Clift. It's just your yeah, name. Yeah, with five or six guy. eyes. Yeah, because a 12-year-old took Joey Clift with one eye, and I just had to, had to deal and then if you're a real nice hotel casino, go to Elon A. It's my tribe's casino. It's very nice. Do, is there like, I remember some tribes do like profit sharing with the community. Is that something that your tribe does? So, so there's a, there's a couple different ways that that works. If you have like, if a tribe has like the way that I kind of think about it is that there are around 5,000 um, members of my tribe and you know, things like our casino, our gas station, like we just opened up like a, like a, a pot dispensary and stuff like that. It kind of feels like I, I own a, I own a family business with like 5,000 other people. Okay. So, you know, the vast majority of the money from these, from tribal run businesses. And I think that this is true of most tribes goes like directly to help the community. Like tribal capitalism is like honestly pretty close to socialism. Like, so if our casino is doing well, that will directly go toward tribal health clinics, which help tribal members or like language programs. Like we have a, a Cowlitz language app that we can download on our phones to get like translations of our tribe's language. If we want to know how to say, you know, English words in Cowlitz. And that's all because of the success of our tribe's businesses. And, you know, as far as profit sharing goes, we're, we're st still a pretty new tribe as far as having casinos goes. Our casino opened in like 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. So I believe we're, I think we're still like, you know, paying some stuff off and paying some bills and stuff. But, you know, there is definitely like a realistic world that if our businesses are successful, that could lead to, you know, just getting a little bit of extra money on the side that is the profits of my tribe's businesses, which, yeah, you know, it's so it's like, you know, it's and that's like a very much top 1% tribe thing. Not every tribe gets that. And I feel fortunate yeah. to be part of a tribe that gets that kind of thing. Well, I, I love that for your community as well. Yeah, gamble um, at my tribe's casino. That's a good way to give me money. <laughs> yeah, folks, follow Joey on the social medias. Check out the stuff he makes. Really, really great stuff. And just generally like something that you can't always say, like great stuff being made from a great and good person, which- Thank you. If you know anything about art, you know, not all great artists are great people. And so to, to see something getting put out there, it's great. For all you freeloaders that are listening for free, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate everybody waiting that week um, while I was away on vacation. Uh, if you are a member at patreon.com slash Jeff May, stick around because we have a little bit of Patreon content, exclusive content that I'm about to talk about. But for now, Joey, say goodbye to the freeloaders. Goodbye, freeloaders. You should you should subscribe to the Patreon. Jeff is a really nice guy. He needs your money. Come on. He needs yeah, to yeah, buy, that... be able to buy a second Wild Stallions poster. That game show money is gone. Yeah, yeah. That was a while ago. He That's needs been to... a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I got that check in 20. Gone. I said he's good at gambling, but maybe he's too good at gambling, if you know what I mean. He needs money. <laughs> I'm good at going to gamble. Yeah, yeah. I'm good at gambling. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Patrons, stick around. Hey everyone, our artwork is created by Justin T. Brown, who can be found at Artness by Justin Brown on Instagram, as well as artnessbyjustinbrown.com. 
That dope music you heard is by Troy Nababon, available at Troy Nababon on Instagram, as well as at TroyNababon.com. Nababon is spelled N-A-B-A-B-A-N, and boy, does that shred. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next time.